Thank you, Cindy. Please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we turn our attention to your word because in this book that you've given to us, in these writings that were written so long ago, that are so relevant for today, you have given us words for life. Words to live by, words to know you, words that reveal who we are and our need for you, our desperate need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. On this Palm Sunday, we remember that Jesus Christ is our King and we, we remember that You initiated that new covenant and we are just getting a foretaste of, of that covenant that, that Cindy just read about. We thank You for what You are doing in our lives today and we anticipate Your return. And we look forward to our King coming back and ruling here on this earth. We look forward to Your plan and we also look forward to Your plan in our lives today. As we anticipate the coming of our King, Father, I pray that each one of our hearts would be ready for His coming. That we would be anticipating His return. And that we would be living lives right now that would honor You and that would recognize Your reign in our lives. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, many of you grew up in churches that have a high respect for the liturgy of the church with its celebrations of several holy days, special services throughout the year, its prayers, its observance of the Apostles' Creed and other confessions of the church. Uh, for many of us, we, we didn't grow up with many of these same traditions in our independent evangelical circles or even in E-free churches that, that many of us come from. Uh, there, there are certainly different ways of approaching traditions within the church, and a lot of these traditions have a lot of history behind them. But potentially one of the great experiences that many of you um, have had that come from more, a more liturgical background is an exposure to the, the church the church calendar that marks out the, importance, uh, the important events in the life of our Lord and the life of our church. Uh, within our evangelical circles, we certainly experience that around Christmas time as we celebrate the first advent of our Lord, and, and through the Holy Week as we remember His death and resurrection. But one writer expresses the church year and explains it like this. He says, this sequence of seasons is more than just marking time. It is a structure within which the story of Jesus and the Gospel's message is recounted throughout the year, and people are reminded about the significant aspects of the Christian faith. And so many of us grew up in churches that, that put less emphasis on liturgy. Uh, we grew up maybe not even knowing what Palm Sunday was. And so I think it's important for us to remember that the importance of Palm Sunday and what Jesus accomplished at that time. For me, I, I always, when I grew up, I, I knew that Palm Sunday was the Sunday before Easter and, and that um, it had something to do with palm branches and it had something to do with my grandparents' church something they spent time on, and it smelled kind of funny there that week. And so, today we're celebrating Palm Sunday, and I'd like us to, to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 21 as we look at the profound events that happened on that day almost 2,000 years ago. We're going to pause in our study of Hebrews, and we'll come back to Hebrews chapter 8 after Easter. But as we go through the passage today, I, I do want to encourage you to notice some of the correspondence to Hebrews. Uh, last week, we, we took a deep dive into the high priesthood of, of Jesus. We saw the significance of Melchizedek and, and Jesus being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. 
But one of the important elements of that study was this idea that Jesus is both a king and a priest. Whereas Hebrews largely focuses on the priesthood of Jesus, today we're going to consider the other aspect of, of his reign and that he will be king. We'll look at his kingship and the, and the offer that Jesus made. That when he came and he started preaching the gospel, one of the first things that he started announcing in all the synagogues and as he went out into, among the people was, to, that, was that the, the kingdom of, of God was at hand. And it was a literal offer. Jesus was literally offering the kingdom and saying, the kingdom is at hand and I'm offering it to you. And on that Passover, that Passover Sunday, so many years ago, uh, Jesus came in as the king and he made a very real offer to the people that was available to them that day. And while you're finding Matthew, I'd also like to point out that on the back of your sermon notes today, uh, you'll find uh, your sermon notes is a little bit of a, a book today, this, this, this week. Um, if you're participating with us through the reading of the Gospels, uh, you'll see that we have a printed schedule this week that will take you through the days of that week of uh, Holy Week, in which Jesus came in on Passover Sunday and was crucified and rose again from the dead the following week. And so if you've been doing the read-through, you probably just finished Matthew chapter 20, and um, we, uh, that actually corresponds with the events of the Friday before the first Palm Sunday. And so over this week, I'd like to invite you to read the Scripture together as we celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to the remainder of the book of Matthew throughout this week, we've included the events from the other Gospels that took place over that Passover week as well. And so whether you have a more liturgical background or, or, or not, following the events of what is called the Passion Week or Holy Week, is, it's a wonderful way to absorb the events that took place in, in that week almost 2,000 years ago. And whether you do this individually or better yet, I'd encourage you to sit down with your family and once a day read together. I, I believe that, that this can be a great tool for us to better understand the events surrounding those pivotal events that all of human history points to. The substitutionary death of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And then of course on this Friday, uh, we'll be holding a, a, a Good Friday communion service as well, and I'd encourage you to attend and be a part of that. And then next Sunday, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, this is a day that so many people, that a lot of people that don't normally attend church will, will be with us. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for you to invite your family and invite your friends and, um, and that they would hear the gospel at, during that time as well. So be sure to invite them. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. First look with me at verses 1-6 through six as we discover the preparation for the king. Um, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1-6 through six reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! 
And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, we're told in the Gospels that, that Jesus had been on a pilgrimage with his face set towards Jerusalem. Jesus knew exactly what he had come to Jerusalem for. He knew exactly why he was going to this great city during this great feast on this day of, of on this week of Passover. He had specifically predicted to his disciples, even to his disciples, that, that he was going to die. And he told them he was going to be raised from he told them specifically that it would happen on the third day. And on the Friday before that first Palm Sunday, Jesus had passed through Jericho where He stayed with a man named Zacchaeus. If you remember, a wee little man was He. Then on Saturday, He stopped in Bethany, a village just a couple miles east of Jerusalem. And there, He dined and stayed with His good friend Lazarus and Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha. But... If you remember, it had not been that long since Jesus had been standing before Lazarus' tomb. It had just been recently that Jesus had come and He stood before Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And so, after that event, word started to be to spread around. And, and at this time, during the Passover feast, people, thousands of people were coming in each day to the city of Jerusalem to worship for Passover. And by now, when Jesus is at their house in Bethany, there would have been probably about one Two million additional people staying in and around Jerusalem as they, they came from all over. Not just all over Israel, but people coming from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate Passover. Many of these two million Jews had heard about Jesus. And they heard about Jesus raising a man from the dead. And as people are coming into the land, Buzz is, stock, is, is, is starting and, and people are starting to talk. And as somebody arrives from Egypt and another person comes from Cyprus, somebody comes in from Rome and from Greece, people are saying, did you hear what happened? A man was, was called forth from the grave. He'd been in the grave for four days. And the rumors are spreading about this Jesus of Nazareth who raised Lazarus from the dead. The Gospel of John tells us that a large crowd heard that Jesus was there in Bethany. And so they came out to see Him and to see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. And so already the crowds are, are starting to gather. they figured out where Jesus is at. And, and the events have begun. In John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, we read, "...in the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet Him. And so they are ready. They know He's there. The Word has been spreading. And from Bethany, Jesus, He would have turned north and He would have, heard, he would have headed toward the, a small hamlet called Bethphage. It was situated on the Mount of Olives. And uh, he, he may have sent His disciples from the home that He was staying at or He may have gone part way and then sent them once He, re, he arrived at the crossroads, which was about halfway between these two small towns. So if you could imagine, let's put it in our terms today, um, walking from where we're sitting down today and, and all of us walk down to Lincoln Park together. That, that'd be about the distance from Bethany to, to Bethpage. Not that far. Not, not that bad. You could do it in a, uh, just a, a little bit. And, <coughs> and, and that would be about the same distance from the main road that turns toward Jerusalem. Bethpage itself would have been up on the hill and so you would have had to climb a little bit some distance uh, to get there. Um, but it would have been about the same distance as the railroad tracks. 
And so instead of buying agricultural chemicals down at uh, Vickers Ag, um, imagine two of the disciples turning towards Vickers Ag and, and untying the donkey and the colt that's, that's right there in front of, of Matt's, Matt's office. That's about the distance from Lincoln Park to, uh, to down by the railroad tracks that the disciples would have had to go uh, to get that donkey and bring it back to Jesus. And Mark tells us, chapter 11, verses 4-7, through says they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And He sat on it. And so it's important that we understand that, that a lot of preparations are being made for this day and for this specific event. Preparations were made for Jesus, what we call His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, the people had gathered all along the road. They were ready. They had their palm branches ready to go. Jesus had plans that He had set in motion and that He had prepared to present Himself to the people. The disciples, they had been making preparations and doing, going about their business, making appropriate preparations for Jesus to make His way into the city. And essentially, at this time, Jesus was declaring Himself to be King. And the people knew that Jesus was declaring Himself to be the King. John MacArthur writes about the coronation and ceremony which oftentimes surrounds the crowning of other kings. Other kings and queens of the world would, would be dressed in the most expensive robes and jewels and would be driven through their capital city in an ornate carriage drawn by stately horses. Accompanying him would be his courtiers and, and foreign dignitaries, and following that would be a large retinue of the, the nation's finest soldiers. In many countries, high-ranking religious leaders would also participate. At the climax of the events, the king would be presented with a scepter or would stand on a sacred stone, signifying the transfer of power and authority into his hands. Musicians would play and sing, and the crowds would break into spontaneous choruses of praise for their sovereign. Every part of the ceremony is designed to highlight the majesty, the glory, power, and dignity of the king. MacArthur continues that at her coronation in 1838, Queen Victoria of England, she wore a, a crown that was encrusted, encrusted, encrusted? Do you do encrust a crown or encrust a crown? I'm not sure how that's supposed to work, but whatever, encrusted, Okay encrusted with giant rubies and sapphires and surrounded, surrounding a 309-carat diamond. Their scepter was capped with an even larger diamond cut from the Star of Africa and weighing 516.5 carats. You know, it, it's amazing that at the triumphal entry of Jesus, that at, at the arrival and the declaration of the greatest king who would ever present himself to man, he came riding not on a great horse, not on a donkey, but on the foal of a donkey. An animal that had never been ridden before. It had never been tra trained to, to prance and to parade through the streets. It had never been trained to strut or carry a king with great dignity. And Jesus, He would have presented Himself. Jesus would present Himself as a king who had come to serve not to be served. He came to save all people, not to conquer the nations. He came not in great wealth, earthly power, 
but in poverty and with the power to forgive sins. You see, Jesus had made preparation for His entry and He knew exactly what He was doing on that day. On many occasions, He had told people, it's not yet My time. Do you remember that? Mary, she wanted to to fast forward to this day. Mary came to Jesus and when He changed water into wine, she said, you need to do this. The people need wine. It's a wedding and they've run out. And what did Jesus say to His mother? Woman, which was a term of respect. Woman, it's not my time. Don't, don't try to make me king before it's time. Several times the disciples tried things and He says, it's not my time. But you have to understand that on this day, on Palm Sunday, and that's part of why we celebrate Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, Jesus knew exactly what He was doing and Jesus understood that His time had come. That it was the time. And He was offering Himself because it was the day that He was supposed to declare Himself as King. I'd also like to point out that God had also made preparations. The people had their palm branches and the disciples had gone about their work. Jesus had had made preparation for this day. But it's also important to recognize that God had made preparation for this day in particular. We don't have time to dive into all the details today. We've done so in one of our Sunday school classes. But in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, God had predicted that there was a specific day, a specific time period, which had been set aside and predicted for the coming of the Messiah. And from the issuing of a decree that had been made back in 444 B.C., a careful study of the book of Daniel reveals that exactly 483 lunar years later, perhaps even on the exact day, the Messiah, their prince, would come. That day, that Palm Sunday that Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem was the 29th of March, 33 A.D. And do you want to guess what, what the prophecy of Daniel had predicted? That precisely to that day that, that, that the, the prince would come. And Jesus, here Jesus was. He rode into Jerusalem declaring Himself and being welcomed by the crowds that had come from all over the empire to be their king, to be their prince. And so the prince had come. And His time had come and He was presenting Himself to the people. Jesus rode into Jerusalem declaring Himself to be their King. And amazingly, Daniel also had predicted that the Messiah would be cut off. And less than a week after Jesus' triumphal entry, He was crucified on the cross where He died for the sins of those same people. And for you. And for me. Matthew quotes another prophecy here in our passage today in Matthew 21. This one's from the book of Zechariah. It's interesting that when Jesus comes again, Zechariah tells us in chapter 9 in another place that, that Yahweh, the Lord, will set His feet down on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is going to return to the, the same place that He was at before. But on this first entry in Jerusalem, Jesus didn't fulfill the events of, Je- of Zechariah chapter 9. He fulfills the events of Zechariah chapter 14, which says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And, and interestingly, Matthew ends his quote in verse 9. He doesn't quote verse 10. He wasn't quite, it wasn't going to be fulfilled unless the people accepted his offer unless the leadership of Israel accepted Him as their King. You see, Matthew ends the quotation of chapter 9, verse 9, because verse 10 goes on to prophesy about the rule of our Lord, which He will accomplish when He comes again. Only the first half of the prophecy was actually fulfilled that day. Because though the people welcomed Him as their King, 
those same crowds within five days were going to turn on Jesus, their king, and they would call out for his crucifixion. The kingdom would be delayed and they would have to wait for this king until they, they called upon the name of the Lord, which history is still waiting for. What I want you to see today is that God had made preparation. Not only the people made preparation, not only the disciples had gone out to get the colt, and, and not only had Jesus arranged all the events of this day, but God the Father had also made preparation for the coming of this King long before Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day. The Holy Spirit had made preparation for that day when He prophesied in Scripture the events that would happen on this day. In fact, the very day that this, this, this event would take place. And He came in as a humble servant King. But his arrival had been spoken of and the day had been prepared long before the people had made preparations with palm branches, long before the disciples had the opportunity to untie the foal from its post. God had made preparation for the coming of the King. But just as surely, God has already made preparation for Jesus when He comes again. His disciples made preparation when Jesus commanded it. Verse 6, verse six um, says the disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. And so I leave a question with you today. Are you prepared if Jesus were to return for His people and to call you home? Those people gathered around and they had palm branches welcoming their King. If our King came back today, would you be ready? Would you be prepared? The owner of the donkeys asked the disciples, what are you doing? And if people asked you the same thing today and said, what are you doing? Would you be able to respond that you were doing as Jesus directed you? Returning to our text in Matthew, we also see the reception of the King in verses 7-11. through The passage continues and we, we find starting in verse 7, I'm going to read that again. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And so, so just imagine the disciples bringing the donkey and its foal back from Dicker's Egg, meeting back at, at Lincoln Park, back down at the Banshell, and then from that crossroads, Jesus would only have the, the short journey of another mile and a half to go to the eastern gate of Jerusalem, an entrance to the city which also had a lot of specific messianic implications. So picture a thousand people, thousands of people, not just a thousand, but thousands of people. As millions are gathered around the city, thousands are lined along the way on 11th Street, all the way from Lincoln Park, all the way down to Westbrook. Crowds that you can barely get through. It's not a great distance, is it? It's not that far. But as Jesus rode into the city that day and He made His way to the Temple Mount, we're told that the people, that the, the people lined the road that went to Jerusalem. And, and there wasn't a, a giant parade with cherries. There was no Aladdin parade and fancy Robin Williams music. But people were gathered everywhere. And, and Jesus came in there were no dignitaries. There's no royalty leading the way. But Jesus came in humbly riding with the disciples who were following nearby. 
But the people acknowledged who Jesus was, and they recognized. I, I want you to see that the people recognized the implications of what was happening on that day. What was happening at that moment. Thousands were gathered around, and they were waving their palm branches because they understood what Jesus was offering. They understood what, had hap- what was happening at that time. There was a pivotal day in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And the people laid their cloaks on the road before Jesus, which was an ancient custom that symbolized great respect and it symbolized submission. It called out, we we put ourselves at your feet. And it recognized that Jesus was their King. And those who didn't didn't place or didn't have cloaks to place on the ground, would cut down palm branches and spread them on the, road, on the road. And palm branches were an ancient symbol that was associated with celebration. It was associated with praise. And so all the way into the city, Jesus rode in on a carpet of green that could just as well have represented the life that He came to offer. But notice that they didn't just submit themselves before Him. They didn't just celebrate Him and praise His coming into Jerusalem, but they also shouted out as as they went before Him and as they followed behind Him. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is the highest. Let's look at those phrases that they were calling out. Hosanna is an exclamation that basically means save now! So imagine walking that distance and people are calling out, save us! Save us now! Hosanna! The people were looking for a Savior and they recognized Jesus as Him. Unfortunately, they, they had missed that He had come to save them from their sins. You see, what was it they thought He was saving them from? Yeah, it was all those Roman soldiers that were also down the street. That's who Jesus had come to save them from. And so they didn't recognize that really what He had come to do was to save them from their sins. They were looking for a deliverer who would free them from the bondage to Rome, but the implications of what they cried out were staggering and and even prophetic. For Jesus had indeed come to save, just not in the way that they expected that He was going to. Like Hebrews, uh, the book of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and the phrase Son of David was a very clear statement that Jesus was the heir to the throne of the King of David. And so when they called Him the Son of David, they were were recognizing that He was the one that could inherit the throne. That He was the King. Jesus had a right to rule. And so when they called these things out, they were receiving the King. And Jesus did come to save. He did come in the name of the Lord. And He did have the right to rule over the people if they would have Him. But then verse 10, there's a turn that takes place. In verse 10, we're told, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And and here lies the problem. There were great messianic implications in what had just taken place. Jesus had just ridden into the city where the prince was supposed to come through. Thousands of people had just cried out a declaration regarding who they welcomed as their king. But the leaders of Jerusalem, the leaders of the people, and many who were in the city itself were told they were, they were stirred up. Do you remember another time that this happened? In Jerusalem? In the book of Matthew? They were shaken. 
they, when Jesus was born and the Magi came to Jerusalem, they came to Herod and they came to Jerusalem. And, and we're told at the beginning of Matthew that the people were troubled at the announcement of a new king. They were troubled. Jerusalem was stirred up both at the beginning of his life and here at the presentation as the king, the leaders were troubled by his coming. They didn't go out with the people and the crowds that had come from all over, the, all over the empire to say, welcome! Our king is here! Welcome! Save us! But they were troubled by his coming. They were stirred up by his coming. They asked, who is this? You see, the declaration of a new king, it could mean treason. It could mean war. The people feared the Romans and, and they were not ready to truly acknowledge this great prophet, this king who had come to save. And so we're told that Jerusalem was stirred up and they asked, who is this? And this is the question that we're left with today. Who, who is this man? This Jesus? This one that we celebrate as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek even? Who is this king who offered himself but was rejected? Is he just a great prophet? If that's all Jesus is, I'm not sure why you're here. If he was just a great prophet, folks, there's no point in coming back tomorrow and next week. Or is he a savior who we look to not only not, not for deliverance from some earthly king, but we look to for deliverance our sin if he's just a savior who's here to deliver us from political chaos that we watch all around the world then we're missing out on our greatest problem and the solution for it when we longingly look for jesus to return to take us out of this world are we doing so just so we can escape from our troubles so we can just escape from the trials of this life or do we look to him as our king do we look to Jesus as the One who is our Savior who died for our sins and who has given us life abundantly now, even in the midst of this world? Do we longingly wait for Him because we love and we adore Him? And we're bursting and the praises are just bursting from our hearts knowing that if we don't praise Him, that the rocks and the trees might just cry out instead. Who is Jesus? Are, are you prepared for His return? Have you received Him and would you be ready to receive Him today? Or would you be troubled because you aren't ready? If you look at verse 14, we read, "...and the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple, and He healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! They were indignant. The, the, the leaders of Jerusalem, leaders of the Jewish people, when the King had come and the people cried out for salvation, when they cried out and called Him the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to Him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes! Have you not read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? In Luke 19.40, Jesus added, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so my friends, let not silence be our response as we anticipate the coming of our King. 
Don't give the rocks and the trees the opportunity. But may our lips proclaim His salvation. May our actions be loud and clear that we serve the King of Kings. Like those palm branches were laid out before Him on that first Palm Sunday, may our lives be displayed just as clearly as a demonstration of the King that we welcome and adore. Uh, I've shared with you many times uh, the story of Dan. Um, some of you haven't heard this that, that are newer here. Um, but I, I share it again just because Dan set such an example for me. Uh, I, I've told people that when I went to Moody Bible Institute, the, the greatest lesson that I ever learned at Bible college was from a janitor, a guy named Dan. Uh, and I, I remember starting with the night crew my freshman semester. I had gone to Moody. I um, uh, had gotten a job doing the, the cleaning. I was supposed to mop and vacuum and do this and that. And, and I, I showed up for my orientation and my training. And the other students turned to me and they said, oh, you're training with Dan tonight. Have fun with that. Look out. I went, what are you talking about? They, oh, you'll see. You'll see. I said, no, no, really, what? They said, no, you'll see. So I met Dan, and he was a um, guy in his mid-40s, balding, um, really, really thin, and um, a little bit, little bit awkward, but, but nice. And Dan said, okay, we're going to go look at all the different jobs that you'll be doing throughout the semester, and I'm going to kind of start training you for everything. And so Dan um, uh, took me first to... Um, I think it was the bookstore, and we got out a, a, a duster, and he showed me how to dust. And we dusted shelves, and we dusted CDs, and we dusted books, and, and he said, good job. And then we went to one of some of the offices, and we got the vacuum cleaner out, and he showed me how to use a vacuum. You, you flip the switch, and, and you go forward and back, and forward and back. And he said, okay, now you try it. And so I forward and back, and forward and back. He said, good job. Show me how to mop. And we went side to side and side to side. And I tried it. And he said, good job. And um, a lot of stuff that just seemed pretty, pretty normal. And you know, I'd done it before, but uh, there weren't any surprises. But then we got to the kitchen. And, and I'll tell you what, something completely different happened. Dan started lifting all these floor mats off of the, uh, off of the, the, the kitchen floor and putting them up on top of the dishwasher. And, and he got the hose out. And, and Dan looked like a monkey in, in a jungle. I mean, he was he was all over his kitchen of dishwashing equipment up on top of tables, and he's spraying back in corners of the kitchen that uh, I don't think the rats had ever seen these places, but they were clean now. And he's sweating profusely, and it's it's getting hot and it's humid. It's still early. It's still late August in Chicago, and and, and Dan was all over the place. And I'm just watching this whole process, thinking, what in the world is happening right now? This this guy's crazy, but it's clean. And um, anyway, Dan hops down and he's panting a little bit and he's sweating and he wipes the sweat from his brow and, and Dan turns to me and he says, Jeff, do you know why I do this? I said, why, Dan? He says, because, so you know, I, I'm not the smartest student. I, I couldn't go to your classes and learn Greek and and." and can't read as quickly as all you do, and I can't write papers. I, I'm not built for that. He says, but I can clean. And that's what God's called me to do. And I, I have the opportunity to be a janitor at Moody Bible Institute. And, and, and that's what I'm going to do for my king. That's what I'm going to do for my Jesus. 
And if Jesus were to return today, if He were to come back right now while I'm training you and we're cleaning up this kitchen, I, I would want Jesus to find me doing exactly what He's called me to do. Oh, wow. Here's a guy who gets it. This is a guy who gets it. Everybody thinks he's crazy because uh, of how committed he is to, to what he had been called to do. But he understood that his king was coming. He understood that, that his life had been given purpose. And if it was being a janitor at Moody Bible Institute, then, then he was going to do his absolute best to do what God had called him to do. And if his king came back that day, he would be found ready. And if somebody said to him, what, would you, what are you doing? He was doing exactly what God called him to do. Whether it was untying a foal from a post, or preaching the Gospel, or loving his wife. Are you ready? Do you understand what Jesus has called you to do? Today, right here, right now in your family, in your ministry, at your workplace. And if He were to come back right now, would He say, well done? As our worship team comes to lead us in a final hymn, it's my prayer that our voices would cry out in praise like those people did that day. That we would cry out to King Jesus. Our closing song today is entitled Before the Throne of God Above. It's one of my, my favorites. And I think it's very appropriate because it reminds us uh, not only of what Hebrews has been teaching us, that Jesus is our High Priest. The song begins, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great High Priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We saw in Hebrews chapter 7 last week that Jesus is our High Priest and He will be our Priest for eternity. Not, not just until the heavens and the earth are destroyed and a new heaven and earth is made. But Jesus will be our high priest for eternity. But this isn't just an appropriate hymn of praise from our lips today because it echoes the truths of Hebrews. It also reminds us of the propitiation which Jesus accomplished when He was crucified that first Passion Week, that first Holy Week. Our hymn continues and says, He made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on Jesus and pardon me. And these words that we sing are also appropriate words to praise God with because we do recognize that Jesus is our King. We do believe that He will return and He will fulfill the rest of His promises as well as the prophecies that had been told in Zechariah and Daniel and throughout the Old Testament and from Jesus Himself. And so we sing, Behold Him there. Behold Him there. The risen Lamb. My perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I Am. The King of glory and of grace. Praise God that our King is also our High Priest. And unlike all the other rulers and kings of this world who flaunt their power, my friends, we serve a King who came to serve and to show us how to serve. He came first to seek and to save the lost. And our King came as He served His creation by laying down His own life for ours. So let us worship.